0: This show brought to you in part by our friends from Monmouth Park. Live racing now from Friday through Monday, with August 1st being the first Monday, running Mondays throughout August, and we're going to have special coverage of those shows here on the In The Money Media Network. First race, 12.15 on weekends and on Labor Day Monday. First race, 2 p.m. on Fridays and those August Mondays. And the bet we're going to be covering on the shows, the Monday Mid-Atlantic Pick 4, Two races from Monmouth, two races from Colonial, four races in about 90 minutes, 50-cent base, and a 15% takeout. For more information, go to monmouthpark.com. Speaking of Monmouth Park, today's show also brought to you by Betmakers. Fixed Odds Betting is back and in effect at Monmouth Park. Early returns are fantastic. 70% of winners paying more on fixed odds than they are on the tote. I got to enjoy this myself in several races on Saturday. Even those races where I lost, if I got the best of the number, I knew I was doing something right. This is an exciting new way to bet that gives you the power to get real value because the odds you bet are the odds you get. You're going to be hearing a lot more about fixed odds betting and bet makers across the In The Money Media Network. Welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our show for Tuesday, July 26th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you from the Lower East Side again, safely back from the Jersey Shore, excited to reflect on an exciting weekend of racing back there at Monmouth, also right down the road from here in Saratoga on this gorgeous Tuesday afternoon. And to do it with me, a man you've been reading in record numbers over at inthemoneypodcast.com. Shocked to say, and I haven't even told you this, Unnamed guest because I haven't introduced you yet, but the piece you wrote, uh, well, the, it was the piece you wrote was one of the most read pieces we've ever had, your Saturday Saratoga analysis, and it was a record day across the site for all traffic. The man I'm speaking, including like Kentucky Derby and whatnot, wild stuff, the man I'm talking about, you figured it out already from in the He's Nick Tamaro. Nick, what's going on? I'm doing great, Pete. Glad to hear that. You did hold that
1: one back, which is good, and the element of surprise should never be missed. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very pleased to hear that, and hopefully we can continue to to get our way through the meet in decent fashion because it's off to a great start, and we got a long way to go.
0: Indeed. Nick's Notebook available for In The Money Plus subscribers. A little bit extra every day. I love the way Nick is contextualizing things, especially you miss a day of racing, you're a busy person, you want to keep abreast of the top storylines, you can do it there. But that daily analysis with uh, with, with picks and, and selections, you can get that for free right there on the website. Let's start down on the Jersey Shore where we both were. Other than being ridiculously hot, I thought it was a pretty exciting day of races, and it went pretty quick for a 14-race card. It really did. Yeah, it kind of felt like
1: uh, uh, like you we were at the dog track a little bit. I guess it was because we were we were socializing and having fun and whatnot. But um, yeah, it was a good good day. Um, the, the weather was warm. I mean, I was coming from Texas, so it was. I had the advantage of like the Calder Shippers at Saratoga when they would come <laughs> up and in the summer, and they would fare they would fare pretty well uh, because, of course, it didn't feel that hot to me. Um, but, it, but it was warm. I mean, no doubt about it. I, I think I've I've discerned the main difference. And of course, nobody's listening to hear this, but our air conditioning down here is just of a totally different caliber, right? I mean, we've got (laughs) got a a much, much more uh, voluminous uh, HVAC type of, of setup and whatnot. And so, you know, window units are are, don't exist in Texas because they just don't, they don't do the job. So I think that was a big part of it, but yeah, it was fun. I mean, it was always going to be about uh, seeing, the three-year-olds in, in the Haskell and seeing who can take a step forward because we had a few that were really on the verge of either getting back into the mix or asserting
0: themselves. And we'll get to that one for sure. But, yeah, you get the, the AC handicapping. You can't get analysis like this just anywhere, folks. Quick thought on the Monmouth Cup to start things off that went as race number eight. Stop me if you've heard this one. It's a stakes race. Chad Brown runs one, two.
1: You know, my biggest surprise on the – yeah, exactly. Shocking. My biggest surprise in this race is that I would have probably bet anything, understanding that Highly Motivated was coming back as a a four-year-old, that he would have probably topped out around a mile. I did not. And I know he ran a very good second to Essential Quality in the Bluegrass last year, but I just felt like distance-wise, he was probably going to be better around one turn. And interestingly, he's really developed into what I guess you you would call a a proficient two-turn horse you know he's he's been very good um he was a very good Saturday in the mammoth cup he won a a race prior to that at a distance and the horse that he beat came right back and won again so yeah you know i don't know if highly motivated is quite grade 1 caliber against handicap horses but i do know that this win should have earned him an opportunity in a race like the jockey club gold cup
0: it makes sense he finished on a little bit of an upline too looking at the time form us uh, pace figures not a huge upline but definitely was uh, continuing on staying on late in that race that he won by a mile and three quarters and, and it'll be interesting to see what path they plot to get there but especially the way that race has come up the last few years i think that's a quite a reasonable hypothesis if the as a race for him to be targeting next up we had the matchmaker in a race that i assume you did very well because you spoke with great confidence nick On our Monmouth roundtable about Lamista's chances, the market didn't really listen to you. You got nine to two, and I'm sure you were pretty pleased with that.
1: Yeah, I was thrilled. Uh, That was a good. That was the best result of the day by far. Um, It enabled me to hit the pick four uh, pretty well. I was alive for for more to Jack Christopher, but ended up doing fine as it ended up. And I bet Lamista to win pretty pretty sizably. Um, Probably cost myself a little bit not going with the Chad Zacta. Or actually, I had a chat, chat exact over flighty lady. I tossed fluffy socks, but um, yeah, it was a great win, very game win as well. She really, really dug in, and it looked like fluffy socks was going to go by her coming off the turn, which would have definitely taken my day in the wrong direction. But uh, luckily, she dug in and won well. And you know, I think with Lamista, it's probably a combination of uh, super firm turf. She was also treated with Lasix for the first time in America, which uh, treated with Lasix for the first time. Period. Um, which probably helped also, but I think she had been, as I said when when you and Dallas and I were talking, I think she had been really unfortunate over over a couple of starts, and I think things had worked against her uh, pretty pretty considerably. So no surprise that she ran as well as she did. And, you know, she's not one of Chad's A team fillies on the turf, but she's certainly not terribly far off.
0: I was doubly wrong in this race, but it actually ended up helping me because I was I was team Lady Rockstar. We were head-to-head there. You were uh, skeptical of her chances, but I thought she was going to be the one that got a little bit lost in the wagering, a, a job that I think ultimately went to La Mista. She was hammered down to nine-to-five. Um, didn't run, um, didn't run great without too much apparent excuse, not to have you crow about the uh, picking against the favorite that didn't run well, but w- let me just ask it this way. Were you really surprised at the, at the betting on this one? Where did all that money come from for Lady Rockstar? I was
1: shocked. I I couldn't believe that she got that kind of money. She was, uh, slower on speed figures and you know, one of the, one of the types of handicapping I think that is probably lost because it is a little bit subjective is class handicapping. One thing that's not subjective is that if you look through the running lines of the horses that these competitors were running against regularly, there is no doubt that La Mista and Fluffy Socks and Vigilante's Way, they've been facing totally different horses than Lady Rockstar had faced in two starts in America. The other thing that the public is very seduced by are wins. And a lot of times the public will take a horse that looks like they consistently win with a, a little bit of disregard for who they're beating, and and so you know the the who did they beat conversation, I know it, it gets maligned a tad at times because it, it becomes somewhat nebulous, but it matters and it matters on the turf. I think especially in a graded state caliber race, and clearly you know without much of a setup as well, Lady Rockstar just she was facing much better horses than she had in two starts here in the states. So um, I was I was surprised by how much money she took. I was not surprised by where she finished. Um, And I think there'll be an opportunity for her down the line, probably against slightly lesser.
0: Luckily for me, the, the bet, the extremely bet price got me off and and, and safe and and back in the right direction. I think you make the key point about who did you beat stuff? I really don't like who did you beat on dirt, which we know is so much more attritional and the clock is so much more of a reliable um, pointer. Shall we say metric better word than in, than in turf racing, because on turf, The speed figures that we see are largely, in many instances, form figures anyway. So to to add that context of who did they beat, looking at collateral form, it just means everything to me on the turf in a way where I'm not saying it doesn't matter on the dirt, but it's way, way, way more down the pecking order of factors that I think have any signal in them. Do you agree with that idea?
1: Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I think think because uh, things like pace and class – on the turf are going to take on, um, you know, it, they're going to take on a lot of meaning. I don't necessarily want to quantify and say because the circumstances are different, but I think when you're looking at general handicapping principles, you're looking at things that you can apply objectively. Um, it do, it is not difficult in this day and age to get a pretty good gauge on what caliber of horse a given horse is running against, with the availability of formulator, timeform us to go and look at, at past performances for horses that contested certain races. And I think when you do that. When you take on that type of activity, it can really give you a good sense of it, and, and particularly on a day of racing like this, where at Monmouth you had horses coming together from pretty much everywhere, right? And so you wanted to try and get a sense of who you know who was running, who was running against who, and, and who you know maybe looked better than others, and, and things like that. So I think that that was a situation where it really helped.
0: Let's talk Molly Pitcher. Search results: one of the more popular picks. On, uh, on the network. I'm not sure that anybody who talked about this race on the network did not ultimately go with search results. Three to five made it look really, really good and uh, won uh, in an imperious fashion earning a final time form raw figure of 116, exactly equivalent to the buyer um, the way that I look at the world, which came back at 96. Just easy as could be. Won like a one to five shot. Um, were you a little bit, uh, I don't want to say disappointed, but the, the the figure's a little bit light, I think, for what she's capable of. Did, did that surprise you at all? It's a little light. Um, they
1: went a little slow in the first quarter. I think that may have kind of thrown the race off the rest of the way. She probably, part of me wants to say that she probably should have extended away from them a little bit more, but they did come home, and she was holding off legitimate you know, late-running types, so i don't want to hold it against her too badly um we don't have a a designation on the pace there from from timeform us it was is considered an even pace i think probably one of the things that you're supposed to look at and i understand they were i mean they were 9 to 1 and 5 to 1 but i mean she did finish 14 lengths ahead of the two speed horses so i guess that maybe maybe that was more of a taxing pace than than we expected um <clears throat> here's the thing with search results we're gonna find out on a big stage if she's grade one caliber at two turns. She was obviously best in the FIPS. There's no no denying it, no doubting it in my opinion. The way she, she dueled with Latruska and put her away and, and then held off, you know, and held off the, the fresh challengers as long as she could have. I'm still unsure if she's quite grade one caliber around two turns. I know she loves Belmont. I think that may have contributed to why she ran as well as she did in the Phipps. I think Chad was very smart to take her to the shore and give her an opportunity to win a race without having to face Clarier and Malathot twice at Saratoga. And we'll talk about their showdown in the shoe V a little bit later. I, I wonder if search results is going to be that good or good enough. I'm really excited to see.
0: It's going to be very interesting to see if she can step back up. Cause yeah, based on the Phipps, Absolutely feels like should be in that conversation with those other two. And in some ways, this race, at least just looking at the figures, um, as many questions as answers going forward. But we'll get them. We'll get them answered. Let's move on to the brace of grade ones at Monmouth on Saturday, starting with the United Nations, where uh, Adamo got a really nice run through and uh, cut them all down in the stretch ahead of a giant long shot in, in epic bromance. How good is Adamo going forward? Is this a legit group one, grade one turfer?
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, and it's worth mentioning this is the third straight race we're talking about at Mammoth and Flavian Pratt was just otherworldly on, on Saturday. Yeah. And I mean it helps when you're legged up on a bunch of, of you know zip to five shots, but he didn't he doesn't make any mistakes. And that's one of the things that I've grown to really appreciate about Pratt is that he he tends to have his horses in a good position. He seems to be somebody that understands ahead of time what he should do. And you know, look at where he was, and compare it to where Gufo was early. And you know, you knew coming by the stands for the first time that there was no way Gufo was going to win as far back as he was. He was not going to outclose Adamo by seven lengths. The other thing you knew is that Pratt is not going to be that close to a to a fast pace. So he he also got Adamo to the inside. I do think the inside couple of passes on the turf course were probably exactly where you want it to be with the rails coming down and fresh grass down there. You know, Adamo's a horse that I didn't love after his, his North American debut at Fairgrounds. Um I thought he ran credibly in the at Churchill. I thought he maybe had a little bit go against him at, at Belmont, had a, a little little traffic trouble and um and maybe Pratt waited a little bit too long. But he's blossoming into a very nice horse and, and I would I would imagine he'll be a pretty solid favorite for the sword dancer on the Travers Undercard. And uh, barring anything coming over from Europe, from the maybe from the Appleby Yard or, or from Aiden O'Brien, I think he'll be a deserving favorite. He, he's he's improved quite a bit since he's gotten here, and uh, all signs point to him being a, a major threat.
0: Goofo. Let's just pause for a second on Goofo. This was a race where I agree with you. I mean, he was impossibly far back. Timeform did have that third fraction heating up, but as you said, was never going to catch Adamo, but... Isn't he supposed to pass uh, tribuvin at least in the, in this spot? Or do, does he need does he need a freshening? Does he need a drop in class? What what do you think you'd do with Gufo?
1: Yeah, you know one of the things that Gordon Ramsay did during Hell's Kitchen that was always entertaining was when somebody was not doing their job in the kitchen, he would give them some advice, and generally the advice was pretty stern and pretty succinct. And one of the things that I always enjoyed him staying, and pardon anybody who's going to be hurt by my language, but he would tell them, "Fuck off upstairs." and that was his way of telling it to get out that's what we all need to tell gufo like he's done he's he's out he's i understand he was too far back um he put in it he put in kind of a token late run he's just a i don't know i don't know what it is with him i i don't know i'd love to see them maybe try the blinkers again i know that that was kind of a failed experiment to an extent but um he's just not I don't, I don't want to be critical enough to say he's not that good because I don't think he's bad. But, I mean, God, he, was, he, didn't, even, he didn't even really gallop out. You know, he's just sort of like a, like a lazy, plodding, kind of weird horse that, you know, now you start to pick apart his wins. And I'll tell you what threw me off, and I said this on the show with you in Dallas on Saturday morning. He was so good at Gulfstream. Right. His, and maybe I just need to come to grips with the fact that that was a bond and temple that he was running by. But he looked so sharp. Right. I mean, he was closer. He was in the mix at the quarter pole. He blew by them. I thought, OK, this horse has really moved forward as a five year old. And now we're dealing with a third straight underwhelming effort. And and I have to I'm done with him. I'm completely. In, I mean, his goose is cooked in, in my book. Um, so maybe next time's the time right cuz I'm finished.
0: <laughs> jump uh, the ta- the old tamaro off angle might might come into play next time hey my guy temple ran all right and this was one where my guess about the actual odds being quite larger than the morning line odds paid off it with those fixed odds ability to get the lock in of a fixed show price that one that one worked okay but i take your larger point he still couldn't finish ahead of a 70 to one shot to get second in the race and and beyond the winner i'm not sure unless Tribuvin. tribune's one of those horses he'll always be dangerous in the right setup though right i mean he he he's it's gonna take a lot to get me to bet him again but of all the also rands i think they're probably the most circumstances that might put me on him if things line up just so is that fair
1: yeah I think that's fair i I think you know Tribuven's always going to have an opportunity to win big races because he brings forth an element that is very um very significant, which is that he's got a ton of early speed. He won this race last year he won the u n last year mainly because he set a pretty slow pace and he beat a pretty solid field and Peridor came back and won the the Kentucky Downs turf that last year or so for everybody, and, and so yeah, I think Tribuven will be a threat in, in the sword, especially. I kind of almost wish Manny would just sort of let him roll and and try and take no prisoners on the front end. But I don't. There's nothing about the ride that I want to, you know, that I'm going to quibble about with. Um, it's interesting. So the, the, everybody that wants to say, well, Epic Bromance running as well as he did is kind of an indictment of the race. He did run third in this race last year at sixty-one to one. So right. you know, he's he's he really a horse loves guy. it around there. He does. He does, and and he seems to be a little. Uh, you know, sort of impervious to, to distance issues. And I mean, Ken Sweezy's an underrated trainer. I think he does a terrific job. So um, I don't think him running as well as he did is, is an indictment of it at all. And uh, I just wish I had played a one all three. <laughs>
0: yeah, that would have been something. If Jonathan were here, I'm not sure of this, but if Jonathan were here at Tribune, this might be one of those instances where he says he actually wishes the horse had even gone faster to that point about letting Manny just just open him up. I'm not too sure that it would have made a difference given that Epic Bromance was right there and finished ahead of him. But I mean, I guess the the, the, the point that the go faster people might make is, well, he can't be right there if he just guns and maybe he gets him, maybe he gets everybody else off the bridle. Do you think he would have finished better being ridden more aggressively?
1: Uh, no, I think that that for all 11 furlongs of this race, Adamo traveled like a winner. So I think uh, I think that, that he – there is probably not a circumstance under which Tribuvin was going to beat him. I'll tell you the other interesting thing that's worth discussing <clears throat> here, and I mentioned it with regards to La Mista. Adamo got Lasix on Saturday as well. So Monmouth does not – Monmouth is not in the program um, as far as, as not allowing Lasix in graded stake races. So, you know, you wonder – I don't – I just get the feeling with Chad Brown horses, it probably doesn't matter all that much because of how many graded stakes he wins anyway, but it, it'd be foolish not to mention it. And so he, he was treated with Lasix and, you know, he did, he did have that opportunity. It was Gufo's first time getting Lasix since the Hollywood Derby of 2020 didn't obviously make any, any difference. And so, you know, maybe the good thing is that the trainers are, are adjusting to racing their horses without it, um, which would obviously be the most welcome situation. But no, to answer your question, I don't really think, I don't think Tribuvin was beating Adamo on Saturday. I think he might have an opportunity to turn the tables on Travers Day if it's a situation where the inside is very uh, very advantageous given the uh, rail placement and situation throughout the week.
0: We'll be talking about all those races, of course, as we get down to it. Let's move to the featured race of the day. I am happy you brought up the Lasix point. That That is, you know, it is just one more thing to worry about for horse players. But I think when we talk about all these horses coming out of these races, it's something we are going to want to look at. Meanwhile, we've got the Haskell. They are <laughs> turning in. Yeah, I had one of those thoughts in my head. Oh, man, I only wish I could double my bet on Jack Christopher. I thought, you know, despite maybe being messed with a little bit by uh, Rodriguez and, and Benevengo early on in the race that Jose Ortiz did a fabulous job, had him in perfect position. And I mean, I think I just got to call it like I see it, Nick, this is just the kind of no finish trip from Jack Christopher that almost demands the cutback in distance. Am, am I being uh, too harsh?
1: Nope. I don't think so. I think that's a, I think that's a pretty strong argument um the only thing about what happened that you could maybe take some issue with is that when they came under the wire the first time Jose could have put Jack Christopher on the lead he but he had done so well rating comfortably in the champagne in the pate mile in the woody stevens that he probably figured if i set this horse up outside stalking this you know horse that's probably not going to win that i should be able to run by at my leisure then I'm in, I'm in a great position. The, the difference is that when you're in that position and you're going 45 and change sprinting, you're making everybody around you run faster. When you're doing that in a route race and you're going 47 and the closers are close to you, they're going to outfinish you. So in this situation, you had a horse like Jack Christopher who is remarkably fast, right, who is, is very, very talented. And you put him in a situation where, in terms of the pace, he was in a very similar spot relative to where the leader was, but it was a different circumstance. And so what I'm getting at with all of it is that there was no way that Jack Christopher, who had shown the ability to sit right outside of, of very strong fractions on multiple occasions, was going to kick away from Tava and Cyberknife when his his margin his lead is, is a length, right? I mean he needed if he was going to beat those horses, he needed to A, make them run way faster early than they have in the past, or B, carry a sizable advantage when he got to the quarter pole. Because that was the way given what what has as it shook out, I'm not saying this is something, this is us looking at it in retrospect. He didn't have that opportunity because it was basically a heads-up match inside the quarter pole and he's always going to get out finished by the likes of those horses. So do I think that Jack Christopher couldn't be successful around two turns in the future? No, I think he could be successful around two turns. I think he could easily win a two turn mile. I think he could probably win two turn mile in an eighth races under certain circumstances. The circumstance needs to be that he has to be allowed to flaunt his speed. So he has to to go out and go 46 flat, make all of these horses run faster chasing him. And then they will eventually get bottomed out right now for the, for the, the, remainder of his 2022 campaign he should stick to he should go to the woody stevens right i mean there's no you know there's no denying it. he should go to the jerkins. woody stevens i'm sorry the the uh, the jerkins right he won the woody stevens he should go to the jerkins and um you know and then maybe they'll have a decision to make in the fall about the dirt mile or or the sprint i don't necessarily have great aspirations of him being able to sit outside the likes of jackie's warrior and hold off some of the closers but you know we'll see we'll see how it shakes out I will admit pete i was I was disappointed because i thought I think I thought more of him. I think I thought he was better than he probably is. I don't know if I'm being a little harsh in saying that, but I thought that almost regardless of circumstance, he was going to assert himself against those horses now, pivoting from the jack Christopher conversation to the horses who actually finished one two number one, I was wrong about Taba. Taba is a horse with a lot of ability and and given the amount of times he's run, the layoff he was coming back from, even taking Baffert out of the conversation, he ran very well. He's clearly more comfortable being outside of horses. When he got outside, he really finished. I think the inactivity probably got him a little bit in the final 16th. He also lost to a horse who had an unbelievably great trip, got a phenomenal ride from Claron and is also getting better as time goes by as well. So total credit to the 1-2 finishers. I thought they both ran extremely well. Um, I think Cyberknife is a, is a uh, now a worthy dual Grade One winner, and you know he's kind of worked himself into the conversation for the Eclipse Award at this point. If he wins the Traverse, he'll be a pretty clear leader.
0: This was a big, big step up. You're absolutely right that the ride was tremendous by Giroux. The French had a good day down there at Monmouth, but the uh, we you're read. absolutely right <laughs> to give the credit to the horse because I, I didn't think I didn't think he had this kind of run in him. Honestly, I would you know known. Um, questioner of the Arkansas Derby form and that's and that's being kind I just didn't like that that race shape there wasn't sure what we really had reportedly training well well the reports were true because this was a horse who I feel like has grown up and I think that this uh the difference in, in figures tells the story it came back a 123 on time form for uh, for him and then pretty much matched by the 102 by our speed figure shapes like one who could be open to reproducing that form or even improving when it comes to a race like the Travers and the, and I have to agree. I mean, why why not for the, the this is a division that is that is absolutely wide open. Can't wait to see what happens with with Cyberknife and uh, and, and and whomever ends up showing up for the Travers. Hopefully, we're going to get Epicenter. We'll get the other two, Chad Brown runners in in Zandon and, and early voting. It could be it could be a proper a proper war in just a few weeks' time down the block at, at Saratoga. Cave is worth pausing on too. This was a horse. Didn't love the way he looked in training. I will tell you what, I didn't love the way he looked during the race. Yeah, I thought he was in deep deep water. Um, turning in but you, you and you maybe you made the key point maybe just wasn't comfortable down there inside he gets outside he just keeps coming and I want I mean obviously we're not going to worry about him for the for the Travers uh, unless things circumstances with Bob Baffert and Naira change dramatically in the next few weeks but w- what do you think it will be next for Tave a Pacific Classic maybe
1: yeah I mean I, I don't know how much Baffert will want to take on flight line. I think, I think table will be in the Pennsylvania Derby. Um, okay. I think, I, I, I think mean, he I think he might have a run in like the shared belief or something at Delmar as a prep for that. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I would see, I would consider him PA Derby into the breeders cup. Um, I'm sure Baffert will flirt with the idea of running him in the awesome again at, uh, at Santa Anita, but he's, he's always been a pretty, pretty avid supporter of the Pennsylvania Derby. So I think he'll go there and you know I, you know I, I don't know i don't know how good Taba is I, he's obviously very good he's got a, it's kind of funny to watch two sons of gunrunner come down the stretch together and them have this incredibly different look to the way they run right cyberknife carries yeah. his head extremely high and Taba is like a you know a, a kind of a, a runty grindy you know sort of like a little a little mini machine kind of of horse um Cyberknife has this much more statuesque type of, of appearance so it's it, yeah and again I mean worth mentioning Gunrunner right he's the one who yeah. who kind of yeah it's, just, it's unbelievable how good this first crop has been so yeah I think he'll go there I hope Cyberknife goes to the uh to the uh Travers you know I I think that the temptation is going to be there for Brad Cox to probably pass the Travers and go to the PA Derby and look at picking up a third grade one and being so far ahead of everybody else in the division based on grade one merits because, I mean, look, early voting might win the, early voting can very well win the Travers. Rich Strike's not winning another grade one, and Modonegal is hurt. So, you know, the horses that have grade ones, they're in short supply. Taba has one, Epicenter has zero, Zandon has one, Early Voting has one. Um, and why has one, but he looks like he's, he's done. So, you know, it's, it's just kind of an interesting group right now. M- my hope is that he ends up going there. He's got five weeks now instead of four, which I think is, is, is also kind of a key. And, uh, and so I, I'm hoping that, that Brad Cox takes that chance. So it'll be, it'll be great to see. I mean, like you just said, if we get, if we get Zandon epicenter, early voting, Cyberknife all in the gate together, that'd be a lot of fun. Rich strike as well.
0: I mean, Rich Strike, I think, from storyline purposes would be would be phenomenal. Is he being pointed as far as you know? He is being pointed to the Travers. In fact, he worked today. That would be his – I mean, I agree with you that he's probably not going to win another grade one. But if he's going to, in with a bunch of other famous horses, many of whom have speed, going a mile and a quarter, I mean, that would be his best shot. So it would certainly, it would certainly make sense. And, yeah, I just hope the Travers takes precedence. I take your point, though, if you think you're going to get um, – that, that third grade one for the PA Derby might do it unless somebody were then to go and win the Breeders' Cup Classic and then who'd already won a, a grade one and then, and then you could have a conversation. But boy, to, from a sporting point of view, from a fan point of view, the Travers would be a much sexier option, no doubt about it. The Travers, of course, run at Saratoga and Saratoga is where we will turn our attention next let's keep with the three-year-olds, but go with the, the fair sex, the Phillies and the CCA Oaks. Um, this, this race, uh, very curious to uh, get your opinion of, of how good Nest is at this point. This is one of those interesting ones that the raw figure comes back a 122 on time form, which is you know equates to a solid enough 102 buyer speed figure. But when you take in the fact that it was color-coded throughout as red, the performance figure Gets upgraded to a 130 equivalent of a 110 buyer speed figure. Serious, serious stuff from Nest on the on the time form scale. Buyer comes back 104. How good is Nest?
1: Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, Pete. I watched her workout with Corniche, and I am a, I am an amateur workout observer. I can usually notice only the very basic things. At the end of her workout, what you could tell is that while she was still under a double hammer lock the exercise rider in corniche was actually flagging him a little bit and i thought to myself holy cow i mean she she absolutely dusted him in this workout and so you know she's a she's a filly that always had a lot of talent we i kind of scoffed at the notion that they entered her in the breeder's cup off of her maiden win last year but you know i think that that speaks to how much they thought of her and it was clear to me that i rad ortiz was going to put her in a forward position knowing that the race really had one speed horse well then when society and butterbean kind of blew the brake it ended up that nest was was essentially on the lead society came through and and forced the issue a little bit before she got tired when secret oath came to nest around the turn it was very brief challenge and then you could tell that Luis Saez was all in on secret oath inside the 516s pole and and Irad was still going easy. And then of course from there, I mean distance is Nest's best friend. So she she just, you know, she blew her doors off in the stretch. It was a tremendous performance. It, it was it was a very, very strong effort from a Philly who is clearly getting better. And um and I know the connections have said they're gonna consider the Travers. Um, I don't blame them. I also know that Todd Pletcher made the comment that he was in a similar position with Princess of Silmar in 2013. They didn't even win the Eclipse Award. Now I don't think there's another three-year-old filly out there lurking like Beholder um, that could end up, you know, somehow supplanting her in this division as the leader of this division. Um, I, I do think they should probably just run in the Alabama. I think take care of business there. And you know, if you really have a a desire to run against males, then then maybe try the PA Derby. You know, or, or maybe try the uh you know the woodward or something like that where where you'll you'll have a chance to do it they went quick early in here they did not come come home particularly fast but you know in figs don't lie and so it was a fast race on pretty much any measurable speed figure and she ran great it was uh it was a very compelling performance
0: a big threat to the older fillies if they decide and as i imagine they will to to eventually go that route I would think so. Uh, you know, I mean, we're
1: going to talk a little bit about some older fillies coming up. We talked a little bit about search results. You know, it's one of those where would you – with the males, it's different because you know life is good and, um, and flight line are out there. We don't know really distance-wise where flight line's is going to top out, but we know that life is good as out there. As I said, flight line is there. There are some other nice horses out there right now. With the females, we know there are good horses out there, right? I McClarier mean, and in Malathod. Search results is a good horse. We don't know what we're going to get ultimately from Latruska. But Nest is getting good really fast. So, yeah, it it looks like a year where the three-year-olds might hold the cards in in November.
0: To your point about the Alabama being the logical choice, I think the fact that it's a mile and a quarter also contributes to that just being (coughs) such a logical spot for her to go and sort of just cement her rep and be – I mean, I, and it's such a historic, great race to win on its own right that I, I mean, I think I'd rather be odds on, you know, potentially long odds on in there rather than be the fourth choice or whatever in the in the Travers. It just, it just. I, it's always exciting, and you love the storyline Philly against the boys. And I, I, you know, I was in favor of it for the Belmont, but I'm with you. I, I think that there's just lower hanging fruit, and the log, the, the the logic loving brain that I have make, makes me just want to see her go there as well.
1: Yeah, I, I think so, and and I think that one of the one of the pieces of temptation with all of it is that you know three of the major players in the Travers will look to be early voting epicenter and Zandon. And when they've been in races at nine furlongs or longer, they've not necessarily always finished like horses that are gonna want more ground, so maybe she could could kind of be running at them um in the late stages and have a potential advantage that seems like that seems reasonable, right That doesn't seem far fetched or ridiculous by any means. So there was one other mile and eighth race on the day. it went in one fifty one and two it also went in a in a half mile split that was roughly two seconds slower. 49.66 for the ninth, and 47.46 for the fifth. So obviously, you know, they were backwards races. The, the, uh, the Coaching Club of American Oaks was fast, early, slow, late, and the, the ninth was slow, early, fast, late. So the fact of the matter is that when all is said and done, she ran a faster race than older males did. Um, the older males I'm referencing, that was the race won by Stage Raider, Justifies, the Little Brother, And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, take nothing away from Nest. I think, I think Nest is terrific. And I would just, you know, if she was my Philly, as tempting as it might be, I would, would finish our business in the three-year-old Philly division. Let's go ahead and put the, you know, put the Eclipse conversation to bed because, I mean, boy, if she were to win the, if she were to win the, the Alabama, it feels like Secret Oath would have to beat her twice to get back in front of her.
0: Sounds about right. We've got much more for you, but we have an ad break to get to. Before I throw it to the ad break, though, I just want to highlight the fact that we have a really special episode of Baby Talk this week that'll be dropping tomorrow. I got a chance to sit down with David Aragona and talk to him about really an evergreen conversation about what he looks for in two-year-old races, how he makes the morning line on two-year-old races here in Saratoga. It's must-listen to stuff. That show, of course, brought to you by our friends at Gainesway, and we will be back right after this. Today's show also brought to you by our friends at Adelphi Racing Club. Adelphi is a club of like-minded people who enjoy racing and the camaraderie of being a part of something bigger than themselves. A true community that I'm thrilled to be a part as an Adelphi investor myself. The level of communication from Matt Kater and the team is just outstanding. You are really learning so much. I've learned so much about how horses are trained. Just from all the missives I get from Adelphi. What a way to become an insider. You get access to other members of the team. That's been really fun as well. Join the club. So many ways to get in touch. Adelphiracing.com. Reach out to Matt at Adelphiracing.com. I'm going to be with him at the races on Friday. He'd be great to meet up with. Invite you up to the box for a race or two. Answer some questions. Maybe even go on the Saratoga backside with him. Super cool guy. And you can also follow Adelphi through social media at Adelphi underscore racing or on Twitter at Adelphi Club. One more quick word about this event that we're doing on Saturday, July 30th. We're going to have bagels. We're going to have coffee. We're going to watch horses train Saturday morning. For all the details, trfinc.org slash players open to the public for a small donation. Come join us Saturday at Oklahoma to benefit the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, trfinc.org slash players. Three, two, one. We will continue the regularly scheduled portion of the show with a discussion of the other stake race from Saratoga we saw on Saturday. It was the Grade 3 Caress, a race where I have the dubious distinction, Nick Tamaro of picking the horse Caravel, who finished last let's start there where did I where do we go wrong with Caravel, or where did I go wrong with Caravel? well
1: I mean I don't want to I don't want to re-handicap the race and 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 scoff at you about picking Caravel, which I would have if we talked about it beforehand but um but in all fairness but um so the 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 Intercontinental was a race that at, at Belmont run on Belmont Eve and what you wanted to do with the horses out of the Intercontinental was bet the ones that were on the outside because the rail was a pronounced advantage on the Widener turf course, especially on Friday, more so than it was, I think, on Saturday. And Caravel took full advantage of it. She wired the field, sitting on the rail the whole way. Miss J. McKay was three to four wide the whole way. Toby's heart was wide after she blew the break. And, um, and even Lady Edith was a little bit wide. So those were kind of the horses that I think you wanted to focus on. Now, that being said, Caravel had basically no chance getting steadied back as, as quickly as she did early on. She bumped into Miss J. McKay in the first furlong, and then Star Divine kind of squeezed her back on the inside, going down the backstretch, and her race was over. So basically, her issue started when she wasn't quick enough to get the lead. And the difference between the Intercontinental and the Caress was that there was a real speed horse in the Caress. Robin Sparkles is a one-way speed horse, and so she was ridden in that fashion and was able to get clear enough to to take full advantage. The other thing worth noting is that the front end was very good in turf sprints throughout the week with the rail at 12. And, um, and that's a situation where, you know, if a speed horse goes out and really burns, then they're going to take everybody out of their game. Miss Jane McKay should have won this race handily. She was bumped early. She was steadied sharply going into the far turn. She ended up angling out to make the, the a run widest, lost the race by a length finishing fourth. So, and I, I don't say that as sour grapes because I bet her, but um, I mean, read the chart comment, right? There's this this epic tome um, for a chart comment on on uh, on her that sort of breaks down all of the issues she ran into along the way. So that you know, that's I think what you're supposed to take away from it. Credit to Robin Sparkles, who has has kind of now been around and, and is, is a nice horse and is very dangerous on the front end. And you know, big props to Javier Castellano. i brought him up a few times. I'm I'm very very pleased to see Javier riding as well as he is and. And I think he's riding with a lot of confidence. And that goes to show you, I mean, there's a reason why the guy's in the Hall of Fame. Now, I can't tease this without saying it. Here is the full chart comment. Lady, he <laughs> a three, then two wide. is angled five wide ahead of the stretch off of good fish. Miss J. McKay, just off the inside in pursuit from just off the pace initially, got forced to steady near the five furlong marker when foes in front were taken hold of as Robin Sparkles crossed the two path from the outside and forced to steady and conceded about two lengths of position. Raced just off the inside in behind Caravelle, and that rival was forced to steady out of the rail spot as Star Divine tightened the inside near the seven sixteenths. got steadied once more as that rival backed up into her, and conceded an additional three lengths of position, remained undeterred, and came under coaxing with five sixteenths to go, angled out widest, seven wide and upper stretch, rallied with good courage outside a pair, but ran out of ground while up for the last major share. So there you go. This
0: has been story time. This has been story time with with Nick Tamara. We're getting getting the full on recitation. Yeah, that tells the story pretty well. And yeah, and even down to the amount of lengths lost. It, it was a huge run, and and unfortunate they didn't end up hitting the board. One thing people might be surprised about in this race, I'll, I'll bring this up. The the race fraction, first race fraction, came back twenty one fifty four. I think when people hear that, you'll often sometimes even hear a race caller in tone, twenty one and two. Uh, actually coated blue on this day going five and a half at at Saratoga partially i'm guessing that has to do with the fact that it was a, a turf condition listed as firm eight by the the time form metrics but were you were you surprised to see 2154 coded blue um no no and, and i think part of that and not
1: that, that this had anything to do with the designation but you saw how close they were grouped right and so when they're that packed in it's very rare that somebody's really blazing out there Uh, the turf is very firm and hopefully you guys got enough rain yesterday to kind of soften it a little they're going to push the rail out another six feet to 18 which is the widest setting i believe that's the widest setting on the melon so we'll see the turf sprints play a little bit differently then it'll come down and things will change again but um yeah no i'm not surprised by that designation i didn't think it was a a particularly robust pace. And I know that Robin Sparkles is the kind of filly that if you give her an advantage in a moderate pace at five and a half at Saratoga, she's going to be very tough to beat.
0: I thought if nothing else, Caravelle would compromise her chances. If I, if I'd known she was going to be there clear at the first call, I've, I've had a very different opinion about the race. Good on those that had her. And I know there were a few uh, within the sound of my voice at 20 to one. Let's move on to action on Sunday, and we'll uh, we'll go to that older Philly and Mayor division for starters that we were talking about before. Taking a look back at the V short field, um, many thought on paper this was a match between Clarier and Malathon. We interestingly had the two big favorites three and four in the four horse field um, early on. Uh, in the end, Clarier made the decisive move, and really pretty much looked like winning uh, throughout this race comes back with a one twenty five time form. That's both on the, the raw figure and no, no upgrade or downgrade on the time form. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'll dig in and figure out what the, what the buyer was for it. But I mean, this is a good Philly who put on a terrific performance. Curious to get your thoughts on her and the rest of the shoe field.
1: I'll tell you, Pete, quite honestly, when I saw them break out of the gate, I, I felt like in the first two strides, Claire air was going to win. Because, number one, she doesn't really ever break that great. And number two, when a horse breaks like that, they're just razor sharp. And so the way she broke and the fact that she just kept dragging Joelle into the race. I mean, she kept staying close and, and, you know, getting in behind and, and running up on those two in front of her. And you knew, like, wow, I mean, she is just sitting on go. And there was a period of time just past the half mile pole when Johnny Velasquez was. He obviously wanted to play cat and mouse with Joel, and not really. He wanted to make sure he gave Joel no opportunity to get outside. But in order to do that, you have to make you have to have enough horse to really keep him locked in. And he did. But around the turn, he starts to move his hands a little bit on Malathot. And I mean, Joel still has a fistful with Clarier. So he's you know, he's waiting and waiting and waiting. And then Keeping in mind, of course, that Malathot is a bicycle horse. Malathot is a horse that you've always had to really, really ride. Um, but, you know, just outside the quarter pole, between the quarter and 516th, when Joelle tried to go outside of Crazy Beautiful and Johnny denied him that path, if he had gotten outside there, she would have won this race by five or six lengths. I mean, the fact that he had to then angle back in and have her come through along the inside, which, you know, it's really never the greatest idea to come through right in the one path. On the Saratoga main track, and she still had more than enough to hold off Malathot. I mean, this was a race where the margin totally belies the difference between these two horses. Clarier was so much the best, and I'm not—I'm—I'm I'm a little surprised to say it, but at this point in time, she's—I, in my opinion, she's considerably better than Malathot.
0: It did come back a 101 on the buyer speed figure front, a little bit slower than what Timeform had. The only contrary case I'll make, and I think you have indicated what was going on with John Velasquez, but it, did, ballot that was pretty darn wide on both turns for this being a, a forerunner race. You've made a case that the margin was really bigger than the bare form, the, the the length and a half suggests, and you make it, it's a convincing enough argument that I'll say this more devil's advocate than from my heart. But when you look at ground loss, I, I think you can make a, a case that, that Malathot was maybe even closer to her than than that margin. But we'll, we'll see. I mean, I'd love, love, love to get a chance to to see them face off again. And presumably we'll get that opportunity and, and get a little bit more data about these two, both very nice fillies. who it's always a pleasure to uh, to get to watch. Yeah, no question about it. And I mean,
1: I think if we were having this conversation roughly a year ago, we would have probably said – with little hesitation that Malathot was better. She beat her in the Oaks. She beat her in the Alabama. She beat her in the Breeders' Cup. And you know, and so, it, you know, it looked relatively clear at that point. But now it looks to me as if Clarier, it's not so much that Malathot has not moved forward. Clarier has just moved forward more. And one thing about Steve Asmussen's barn, and I, I kind of banged this drum for a long time, I thought that one of his real weaknesses as a trainer – was that his, his good horses did not get better year to year. And I'm going back more towards like Pyro and, you know, some of his good two-year-olds that didn't really go on. Uh, my Miss Aurelia really, she had some injury problems, but she never really got any better as an older horse. That is totally different now. His horses are getting better year to year. I think a horse like Jackie's Warrior, who was an exceptional two-year-old, he got better at three. We're seeing it from Clariere. Uh, We saw it from Gunrunner. He's really developing these good horses so that they continue to just keep getting better and better and better. And I think it's happening often enough now to the point where you can't really ignore it. You have to embrace it. And so hats off to Clarier. Kind of cool that you're talking about two sons of Curlin, both of whom were out of uh, mares owned by Stone Street, one being Cavorting, the other being Dreaming of Julia, Cavorting, of course, won the personal ends in at Saratoga in 2016. And that's the race that Clarier will be in next presumably with search results and even Latruska. So, you know, let's not, uh, we were talking about how awesome the Travers is going to be. The personal engine on the Travers undercard should be great. I don't know how many more we'll get in the field beyond those, but I hope somebody else is willing to take a
0: chance. You sometimes see that and, you know, just the ability to run third could wildly increase your value. So uh, hopefully we'll we'll get an opportunity to see some of these stars facing off together. If, If I have a, complaint i mean it's one of these things you can go you you can argue it either way and maybe you'll take the other side of it but i I will say if i had one quibble about the early saratoga meet the the size of the fields in these stakes does make me wish there there could be some sort of overhaul of the stakes calendar because i can't tell you who was supposed to be in the race who wasn't but i can tell you there's supposed to be more than four in the big grade one at saratoga
1: yeah agreed and and you know look at this point tomorrow there's going to be a four horse grade two um in the honorable miss and so yeah it's just kind of it's kind of frustrating and it's a little mind-boggling that more connections wouldn't try and and take the opportunity but uh, that's unfortunately the reality at this point and the one thing that i think that that this race should be an example of and i don't you know i don't want to consider it any kind of big upset but the worst thing that i would could ever hear from connections is that well we don't want to go there because so and so is going to be in there oh stop I mean, this is a horse race, right? Anything can happen. They can break slow. You know, somebody might run off on the front end if they're a speed horse and make them go too fast. Don't ever, ever pass on real uh, major historic races because of who's in there. This idea that we need to to protect win percentages or do things like that. Oh, it's awful.
0: It's bad for the game. And I know a lot of horsemen would say, well, you know, if there's only three rivals, I have a chance to to win more. But it has a very negative knock-on effect. And I do think that the stakes calendar is a bigger part of the issue where you just have too many similar races at similar times. And then I don't blame that person for saying, well, why do I want to run for X amount of money against so-and-so gorilla when I can go here and and be a big favorite and still be running for – 200 or whatever, whatever it is. Like I, I get it. And I, and I think, you know, I don't really know what the answer is in a, in a game where obviously the the, it's so you got all these different jurisdictions making decisions on them by themselves for what they think is, is best and not, you know, it's not their job to consider the bigger picture, but if you step back and consider the bigger picture, there's simply gotta be a better way.
1: Yeah. And and I think we've talked about two races this from this past weekend that, you know, kind of, of went against each other in the Molly pitcher and the Shuvi. And, you know, if you took the, the seven in the, the Molly pitcher and the four in the Shuvi and you put them together, it would have been a really phenomenal race. So, you know, but but the fact that the Molly pitcher was um, at a mile and a 16th at Monmouth and it attracted more mid Atlantic type horses and it also was a race where you could treat with LASIKs, you know, that gave it an advantage over the Shuvi and it made some connections probably more willing to run there. And so, you know, we were left with eleven horses that were ready to run, two turns on the dirt, and seven of them were in one, and four were in the other. Not necessarily the greatest coordination in stakes
0: calendar by any means. Yeah, not not that there's anyone whose job it is to co- to, to coordinate that stakes calendar. That might be part of my part of my point slash problem in this uh, in this instance. It, it's all sort of catch as catch can. We cannot leave Saratoga on Sunday without talking about race number seven, where we had the latest, fastest horse in the world, Idea Generation, making her race course debut. Many, including me, uh, scrambling, calling friends overseas, looking to get a piece of the the six to five and seven to five that was on offer, uh, having a pretty good feeling that based on the hype, that Idea Generation was going to go off, long odds on she did go off odds on she looked like she was going to win for absolute fun turning in toehead had other ideas digs in under tyler gaffleone tyler gaffleone crosses the wire first by the nose and just another example of in racing how sometimes um the game will just it, it'll it'll just punish you tyler not off to the best start at this meeting had to be feeling really, really good about himself and the fine job he did getting Toehead's nose back down on the line. As it turns out, there was, and tell me, correct me if you have any better information on this, Nick, but a tractor malfunction that caused the outriders in an abundance of caution to um, tell, the the, the signal was put out to about half the field, it sounded like, that they should pull up. Um, The stewards... I guess, in real time, made the decision that it wasn't so serious that they should, like, play the siren and make it obvious to all that the race should be, you know, junked. And meanwhile, you have this bizarre situation where the race is declared a no contest. Fantastic result for those of us who bet Idea Generation, by the way, who go from this dirty beat to getting our money back and then realizing how pissed we'd be if we backed the winner and the race was declared a no contest and we didn't get our money. But anyway, that's just a, a selfish aside. I've honestly never seen anything like this in racing. I have a few other follow-up thoughts, but I, I want to hear your impressions on, on what happened. And, and let's start with this. Was it handled correctly?
1: Yes, it was handled correctly. The only thing you could do is declare it a no contest. Um, Racing operations-wise, there can't be – my understanding is that this is a situation where that outrider unilaterally made that call. That can't happen. That has to be coming from the front side to that outrider so that they can, can make the call after they've been instructed to do so. It clearly led to three or four horses being pulled up or being, ta- you know, being taken out of the race uh, because they noticed the signal so it's a it's a failure on the part of the the grounds crew in terms of communication um it that that is just supposed to be there's supposed to be a better mechanism in place for that getting out. so the only thing that could have been done was to to declare it a no contest. It also saves everybody as you said who bet idea generation. It also saves idea generation from having in the running line i guess there there will still be a running line. This was one of the most epic hang jobs you're ever going to find. I mean, this was like, she hung badly. I mean, she, she looked like she was blowing by. So anyway, it ends up being a glorified training race and these horses probably come back Travers week and all do battle again, not to take anything away from Toehead, who I thought dug in really, really well. Idea generation was, uh, it's clearly, look, she's clearly a horse with talent, right? I mean, these could end up being contenders for, for fall races like the Miss Grillo and the, and the, the Jessamine and, and things like that. So nothing against any of them. But yeah, just a bizarre, you know, kind of a bizarre thing to have happen. And at a meet where pretty much everybody's watching, everything becomes, everything gets under a microscope even more. And we had a situation with a race taken off the turf on Thursday, that I think people were still kind of talking about a bit. And so then this happened too. And it's like, oh, gosh, you know, can we get away from this somehow? It's really, uh, it's really sort of endless
0: describing the communication issue shades of modern games right i mean there really needs to be better procedures in place and i haven't seen if there's an official statement that's been released but it would be nice to get a proper accounting and more importantly what kind of procedure could be put in place in the future to prevent this it does feel like if the incident was obviously safety first right but if it's if one party is saying there, there's no race and the other party is saying, oh, it's not that big a deal. We're not going to, you know, hit the siren or whatever the protocol's supposed to be. I'd really like to have an accounting of what the protocol's supposed to be and and what's supposed to happen in the future when this goes down because racing doesn't spend enough time thinking about this. And I know it's a weird contingency scenario and all this stuff, but you know we're betting money here and it's. <laughs> It's, I mean, I, I really, I feel for the people who bet Toehead. I feel for Toehead's connections who, you know, don't get those earnings that could come in handy for a potential stakes race down the line that that now they're they're sort of left holding the bag. It just, I don't know. I I hate to say it, but it seems, you know, another one of these instances where racing seems to maybe not take itself seriously enough.
1: Yep, that's the best way to sum it up. Just, you know, it, it's still a gambling game and it's always going to be a gambling game and you want to treat it you want to treat the gamblers with as much respect as possible and they're the ones that always get the, uh, the they're they're in the back row of the bus right I mean there's no no uh no other way to put it um we'll take our spot in steerage as much as we are allowed <laughs> to even have that so yeah it's we're having more
0: fun we're having more fun down in steerage though than those you know toffs on the uh, on the upper decks I'll say I'll say that much um,
1: 90% yeah. of the time at least I want to make sure I have fun <laughs> Um, so the, yeah, no, it's just, it's an unfortunate thing. And, and, um, the only thing that's, so it, based on what I've seen from on TV in person from the announcer's booth, if you're going to make a decision to get the riders to pull up in that scenario, the outrider is supposed to be at the head of the stretch and tell them at the head of the stretch that they need to stop. I understand the more time the better from a safety perspective. There's ample time at the quarter pole for them to get outside if the gate was still stuck. But what that would have done is it would have allowed them more time to get the gate off the turf course because my understanding is that the first tractor malfunctioned, the second tractor worked. So I just I think it was a yeah, it was a breakdown in communication between whomever was making that call ultimately and the person that attempted to relay the message. And that's where the breakdown happens, and it happened in a bad way. And, you know, the, the idea that um, that Naira was doing anything on untoward or, or nefarious or anything like that, n- nobody hates this happening more than Naira, right? I mean, they don't <laughs> want races declared in no contest. They want races to be run, especially at their premier meet, and now that's a whole race worth of handle that they lost um, when they're, you know, they're trying to get to $800 million in handle for the meet. So it's very important to remember that. So. Yeah, it's it's just, you know, it's an unfortunate thing. And, and as I said on the back of a situation with the pick five on Thursday, you know, they want to get these things right. And unfortunately, this is a meet that's always uh, under scrutiny, as it should be. And so when things like this happen, we're going to be talking about it for days after.
0: It's our job. And just to underline that point, I get, we get that stuff happens. It'd be nice the really clear communication about what happened at the time and how it's going to be handled differently in the future, I just think that would go a long way to helping with consumer confidence you know and, and and to your point about it being a a gambling game without the confidence it's hard to bet as much and you could say, "Oh well, but look, the handle's so strong anyway it'd be stronger it'd be stronger with better communication it'd be stronger with better procedures it'd be stronger with fewer um you know, screw-ups, frankly, along these lines. And, you know, some of them you could say force majeure, whatever, but, you know, you can't control that, but you can control what happens afterwards. And it would be great to see a little bit more of that um, as this meet progresses. We're just about out of time, Nick. We got about a minute, though, if there's anything else on your mind.
1: No, I think what I would say just to close on that thought is that, you know, the the one of the problems with American racing is that our stewards exist as, as sort of three – you know, unknown, untouchable figures that sit up high atop the grandstand and decree what's going to end up happening. But there's no interaction. There's no conversation. There's no reporting. You know, they just exist. They are essentially anonymous. And and we have to deal with their decisions, whether it's regarding fouls or racetrack operations or things like that. That must end. In this country that has to end. And one of the things why, one of the reasons why Pat Cummings has been banging the drum for category one stewarding is because category one stewarding brings the stewards out of the dark room. It brings them in to more of a regular conversation about what is happening at the racetrack. It makes them it is supposed to encourage them to be more willing to discuss with riders the things they're doing on the racetrack to discuss with trainers the equipment changes that they're making right now a gigantic amount of money is bet on racing in this country and the information that is out there is woefully inadequate it's woefully short of where it should be and it is an area and believe me i am as as standoffish an american as there can be i think that that we do things the right way in almost every capacity. This is an area where we are wrong. We have to get better at it. And I think this is a great example of it where you know, it's now three days, two days later, we have no idea what the hell happened, right? We have no, none, no reporting, nothing. And, and it's it, it, another part of it is that the media, the racing media has more or less been squashed by a lot of operators because they're they, they don't know what they can report on. They don't know what's okay. They don't know what'll be held against them for even saying it. That's even worse, right? Those are bad things that we have to end. And we'll and if we do so, we'll at least be showing everybody that we do take ourselves seriously. Because at this point, we're not doing a good job of that.
0: As you were talking about the, the stewards and the sort of role in the in the ecosystem, I couldn't help but think of Marvel and the 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 Time Variance Authority. Nick, you'd make a hell of a uh Mobius M. Mobius to to, you know, get things working right. I've no idea who that is, but I believe you. <laughs> I think Yeah,
1: I took my daughter to see the Minions last night, so I'm I'm getting I'm We getting saw that there, too.
0: So. We saw that too. Some good some some very some very fun uh familiar voices in there including Julie Andrews. Don't know if you caught Julie that.
1: I a... oh, caught it. Alan Arkin as well played uh, Wise Buckle. Yeah. So, yeah, I was very yeah. Yeah, very yeah, impressed. Mostly, my daughter was. We went to the theater that does like the the comfy seats, like first class on a plane, and and they bring you popcorn <laughs> and stuff. And so, and she was enthralled for the whole hour and twenty five minutes. So, with, with an almost three year old, when that happens, you're really really impressed.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah, we saw that up at the up at the movie theater right here on Railroad Place on the rainy whatever that was that last Monday. Well, one one in a, another in a series of rainy Mondays. They're good, very good for the movies. Today though. The sun is shining. We're out of time and it's time to get to the pool, Nick. So I'm going to let you go. Really appreciate all your thoughts on this stuff and uh, let's do it again soon. Thanks, my friend. I'll plan on it. Talk to you soon. Thank you one more time to Nick Tamaro. Thanks to our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing. Been great to get to see uh, Clay Sanders and Marshall Graham up here. Sounds like they'll be back a bunch too, meeting some of the other 10 Strike team as well. So fun. Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. Great night last night. We had... Over uh, on the west side, Kendrick Carmouche. Man, such great energy, and he donates so much time. His family pitching in. We did the the gumbo event over at the Principessa Elena Society. I want to join now. It was such a great spot, a lot of money raised for charity. We have another TRF event coming up that I want to, maybe I'll have done an ad for this earlier in the show, but want to let folks know that we're going to do a a coffee and bagel thing on one of those magnificent backyards in those houses on Fifth Avenue to watch some horses work. That's going to be on July 30th. So what day of the week is July 30th? I'll tell you real quickly. That is Saturday Saturday morning. You can sign up trfinc.org slash players. You're donating to a great cause and you can come and hang out and we're going to have a nice time there uh, on what will hopefully be a lovely morning getting to see whoever comes by, uh, equine and human, um, with, a, with a just one of a kind way of taking a look at the Saratoga mornings. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Cody. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos.